0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from The Misguided Thief, written by Robert T. Hunting. Well, it isn't theft, Stellan Neves tells himself, not when you're stealing from a crook. Stellan, a married mid-twenties Chicago accountant, dreams of a new life free from a spiteful wife and two unruly young daughters. His salvation comes by way of mobster Dushan's squeeze squeezebox Kovacevich. Stellan stumbles onto a cache of $2.1 million hidden beneath loose floorboards at Squeezebox's warehouse. He at first resists the temptation, but it proves too tempting. He plots out his theft, and under the cover of darkness, bolts with the money in his trunk. Ditching his sensible Brooks Brothers suits and wingtip Oxfords, Stellan resurfaces in a small college town in Vermont. Certain no one would ever look for him there, he reinvents himself as Pete Harris, with a beard, wireframe eyeglasses, jeans, plaid shirts, hiking boots, and a pickup truck. A vengeful squeeze box becomes apoplectic at the theft. He hunts him maniacally for Stellan, but federal indictments put an end to his search, Charged under the RICO Act, he receives a 60-year sentence. His forever home will be a 6 by 8 cell in a small federal prison. The only way Squeezebox will ever leave prison is in a pine box. Time passes and serendipity plays her hand. While taking courses at the local college, a bulletin board notice seeking volunteers to teach English and math classes at the nearby prison catches Pete's attention. He mulls it over. Why not? He can spare the few hours. The tension is palpable as the two men unexpectedly face each other across a small table in the prison waiting room. Will this chance meeting lead to their complete undoing, transformational redemption, or neither of the above? And now for your listening pleasure an excerpt from The Misguided Thief.
1: Chapter 1 Stellan Neves vanished into a Chicago night with several cases of hard cash worth $2.1 million, belonging to mobster Dushan Kovacevic. From that moment on, both Stellan and Dushan's life changed in ways neither could have imagined. Stellan called Chicago, the nation's third largest city, his home. He and everyone who lived there knew it as multi-ethnic. Among others, The Irish, Latinos, Jews, Chinese, Poles, Russians, and Germans called Chicago their own, too. So did 500,000 Serbs, few more loathsome than mobster Dushan Squeezebox Kovacevic. The compact, bad-tempered criminal earned the nickname Squeezebox because of his concertina. Similar to many second-generation children of immigrants, He over-idealized his roots and loved all things Serbian, including its mournful folk music. In his teens, Squeezebox took it upon himself to sing and play the accordion. As much as he tried, his stubby fingers could not accommodate the cumbersome instrument. In frustration, he switched to the concertina. Few dared to criticize what passed for talent in Squeezebox. Fewer yet grew bold enough to call him by his nickname. Donning his suit jacket, scarf, and winter coat, Stellan walked to the stairs of stringent accounting, small business specialists. Night, Dina, Grady, Frank, he called out over his shoulder to the bookkeeper and two of his colleagues. See you Monday. He didn't wait for an answer, shut the door, and hurried out of the three-story office building. Outside, he burrowed into his coat and hurried along to a bus stop. The bus would take him to the L, a short block from Union Station. Inside, he'd line up with other commuters for the daily ride to his Lake in the Hills home. The city's frigid, biting winds arrived earlier than expected. Stellan tucked into his coat and mumbled, Too soon for this. Why couldn't it wait at least another month? festive lights on streets and in stores cheered him a bit. Stellan toyed with the idea of picking up something small for Nina and the kids. Couldn't hurt, and might lessen the never-ending tension between him and her. The more he played with the idea, the more he liked it. He'd get Nina some perfume and the twins a few accessories for their doll collection. He set off in search of his gifts. An attractive Asian sales clerk in the department store considered the lean customer with his triangular face and bits of gray at his temple. Would he have salt and pepper hair in another five years? Hard to say. She'd made him out to be in his mid to late twenties. Handsome, although the bags under his sorrowful eyes suggested he needed more sleep. His face presented him with a stern look though the creases at the sides of his mouth faded when he smiled. She handed him his credit card receipt. Here you are, Mr. Neves. She followed with a full smile and handed him the perfume. Early Christmas shopping? Her cleavage caught Stellan's attention. Aware she might see him staring, he forced himself to meet her gaze. No, not yet. The sales clerk draped her hair forward and smiled again. Well, I hope she likes it. Insight came to Stellan. Damn, she's flirting, and I'm enjoying it. He wanted to stay and revel in the dalliance. His physical height registered at five foot eleven, but at the moment he felt ten feet tall. Flattered and aroused. Down, boy! An inner voice warned. Flirting can mean something or nothing. How do you know she doesn't flirt with every male customer? He pulled himself out of his reverie. Me too. Anyway. I better get going. I know it's early yet, but season's greetings. Thank you, and the same to you. Stellan worked his way into the cavernous Union Station, weaving through crowds to get to the Metro train lineup. It snaked forward to the accessible platform. Seated on the train, he indulged himself in a fantasy about the sales clerk. If she had invited him for a drink or something, would he have gone? Of course. Be a fool not to. In the last six months, he'd basically undergone forced celibacy, not of his own choosing. Forty-five minutes later, Stellan unlocked the front door of his house. He heard competing noise from the TV in the living room and Nina on the kitchen phone. The twins would be watching one of their favorite programs. Nina, as usual, was involving herself in some drama with her mother or a sister. She came from a large Polish family. A day didn't pass when she didn't have the phone to her ear over an approaching or current crisis. Stellan once joked the phone was attached to Nina's ear. Nina didn't share his joke. Code hung up. Stellan again experienced his usual bout of disappointment when no one came to greet him. I could be invisible for all anyone cares. He stepped into the kitchen. Nina, at the table, wiggled her fingers in recognition accepted a quick kiss on her cheek, and all but dismissed him. Could she have been any ruder, she said into the phone. Stellan handed Nina her gift. She continued to cradle the phone between her head and shoulder, slid her hand into the plastic bag, and extracted the fancy container. She examined it, peeled off the cellophane, lifted the lid of the cardboard box, and pulled out the perfume bottle. She lifted the top. Held it to her nose, gave it a perfunctory sniff, and offered Stellan a cold smile before she returned her attention to the phone conversation. Stellan pushed down his irritation and moved off to the living room. Hi, Daddy," Mia said, waved, and returned her attention to the flat screen. Joanna gave him an inattentive half wave. Stellan long ago thought his daughters were many Ninas in appearance and temperament. Man. If those two got 23 chromosomes from Nina and the other 23 from me, my side sure got the short shrift. Not a single thing about them, says Neves. Everything, says Dabrowski. Both girls had their mother's light skin tone, full lips and large blue eyes with long, dark lashes. Both inherited her mousy brown hair. Stellan knew he shouldn't, but allowed himself a small delight at their imperfection. Little beauties with mousy hair. He chased away the thought. Nina's hair didn't much bother you when she first slipped off her panties. No, he admitted, but she had a killer body and a nice ponytail. What guy doesn't go gaga over a girl with her ponytail and a scrunchie? He forced himself to return his attention to the girls. Look what daddy's got for you. He held the packages of doll clothing. Both girls jumped to their feet, hurried over, snatched the packages, and rushed off to their bedrooms. "'You're welcome!' Stellan shouted after them. The family sat down for dinner. Of late, Stellan found family meals bothersome. The twins fidgeted, often interrupted his conversation with Nina, whined, threw temper tantrums at the smallest provocation, and skirted the edge of rudeness, especially to him. Stellan made numerous attempts to rein them in, Nina always defended the girls, said they were kids, they'd grow out of their ways, and he shouldn't be so uptight. Bedtimes proved equally difficult. It took many tries, threats of punishment, and arguments with Nina before the girls fell asleep. With the twins down, Stellan and Nina watched TV in silence, both withdrawing into their quiet, emotional corners. Nina at last rose and left to do her nightly rosary. On her knees, she'd make the sign of the cross and do the order of prayers. The Apostles' Creed, one Our Father, three Hail Marys, another Glory Be, more Our Fathers, Hail Marys, and finish with Hail Holy Queen. Stellan had tried his best to be tolerant of Nina's faith, even attempted to pray with her. In time, however, he moved in the opposite direction. He endured Sunday one-hour Masses, and used the time to solve work-related problems. He thought Catholic rituals were claptrap, but kept his opinion to himself. Offering it up would rain a world of trouble down on him. Half an hour later, bored with TV, he at last followed Nina to the bedroom. He held out an olive branch. Come on, Nina, do we have to go through this every night? He kept his voice low, worried the kids might hear. I've been unhappy for a long time. You have, too. I'm starting to agree with the counselor. There's not much holding us together. His wife's gaze held his. Her eyes narrowed, chin out. A scowl in her tone, she said. I'm not the one who blew $40,000 at the casino. Snow at the top of the mountain dislodged. Stalin exhaled through his mouth and took another breath of air. And here it is again. I thought we were maybe making some progress. I guess not. He looked down at the carpet and up at Nina. You're never going to let me forget this, are you? Never going to forgive. We've gone to counseling. I go to my GA meetings. I've apologized I can't tell you how many times. I messed up. Everyone knows what I did, especially you and your family. You have a right to be mad at me and all those other things. But I've got to tell you, at some point, you have to let it go you spent $40,000 that belonged to this family. The words arrived hard, cold, and carried their usual malice. The avalanche cascaded down the mountain. Stellan felt the muscles in his face tighten. Through gritted teeth, he said, when you're perfect, get back to me. He slowly shook his head. "Yep, $40,000. you are never going to be done emasculating me about this. For the record, 40,000 i earned me not you she glared at him stellan exhaled aside from what i did nina there's a meanness to you a meanness no amount of say in your rosary on your knees changes he twisted his mouth to one side you do remember the counselor telling you i used the casino to relieve stress you didn't care then and you don't now what matters is you won't forgive You hoard my wrongdoings like a miser counting her coins. Gotta say, I'm not sure how much longer I can live with this deep freeze. Nina crossed her arms high. I'm not giving you the deep freeze. Yeah, you are. And you know what else? You've poisoned the well with the kids. How do you think it makes me feel when they talk badly to me, their father? Oh, now you're dragging them into this? Nice. Well, it's not true. Oh, get off it. It's been true since we brought them home from the hospital. The moment they arrived, it was the end of the line for me. And then there's your little us-against-daddy plot. He lowered his head, raised it, and said, Damned if I know why we don't divorce. I'm Catholic. We don't divorce. Stellan shook his head in dismissal. No, no divorce for my sanctimonious wife. Shakespeare had it right. Hell is empty. All the devils are here. I'm married to one he closed and opened his eyes. They don't make bigger fools than me. I was heading off to college and you, afraid you'd never see me again, played me with your phony pregnancy, remember? Like a sap I believed a lie and the one that followed this supposed miscarriage. We rushed to get married. You were really after a good address and kids and you saw me giving you both. Nina's body stiffened. Finished? In ways you can't imagine. "'Meaning?' "'Nothing.' Nina wheeled about, marched to her side of the bed, yanked back the blanket with intensity, and met his gaze. "'I'm married to a thief, is what I am. You brought all this on yourself. You, not me.' "'Back to this, are we?' Stellan gave a dismissive wave of his hand. "'I stole, but I'll say it again. It was my money. Doesn't absolve or acquit me. But if I'm a thief, you're a fraudster.' I didn't enter this marriage under false pretenses. You can't say the same, can you? His lips set in a grim line. Stellan continued. So we know what my shortcomings are, but I guess it's the God you pray to who will decide which one of us is worse. Nina climbed into bed, switched off her lamp, and gave him her back. Stellan lay awake for hours, seething with anger and resentment at his bitch of a wife. Why hadn't he seen it from the start and looked closer? All the Dabrowski women had the bitch gene. Too late now. He rolled over, flipped and pounded his pillow, and grieved for a different life. He hated his job and hated his wife and family, but saw no way out. How had it all come to this? If only he could change it. In the dark, he watched the LED digital displaying the time. Bit by bit, he arrived at a decision. He'd leave Nina Dabrowski and her children. The idea brought a small measure of relief.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from The Misguided Thief. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.